you today to the highest position of authority in our lives. We honor you, Lord. Awesome. You may be seated this morning. Isn't it great to be in church together? And what a great night we had last night. I have a few pictures that I was just going to put up on the screen of um, some of the pictures that I captured throughout the night just on my phone, but I just thought, what an incredible night, seeing so many people from our community coming out and being part of the night, and to be able to see you know, different people that we've um, seen at different times, and those that we haven't actually ever seen before, there in that one place on the night was incredible. And so I'm not sure whether there is a few pictures here, here's some there. I think the one before that is um, a picture of Santa, and that's about the moment Santa realized he was in massive trouble. <laughs> and there was no elves that could save him at that moment. <laughs> some other pictures of the night as the night went on. And these are some of my favorite pictures. This is uh, setting up, packing down at the end of the night, I believe this is. And just the, the amount of people that were there to be able to help and to be able to do that. And I just want to say again, just to echo what Amy's already said, just a huge thank you to every volunteer, every person that played their part. Honestly, every little part matters. And uh, if without everyone just playing their part, it's impossible to pull off an event like that from every sponsor to every person that just serves on the night. Just a huge thank you to every single person that's been part of it. And Ken, welcome back. It's great to have you back, part of the family again and, uh, and here in church with us together. And we've been talking about um, trying to lock down Ken to come and do an interview in January. And so we're going to talk a little bit about um, your story, what's going on. And if you don't know Ken's story, on a trip over to Canada on a dream holiday and fell over on the plane and broke his back. And the whole story that kind of went from, from that point onwards was the story of learning to be able to walk again, not sure whether that would even happen, all the things that would go along with that. It's been an incredible miracle story to this point. And in January, we want to do a series called Principles That Help You Prosper. And I just thought, what a great way to kick off that series, talking about attitude. Because that's one thing you can choose. You can choose your attitude. I remember Ken saying, I can't choose anything else that I can do in this situation, but I can choose the attitude that I have. And I think what a powerful story. And Ken and Megan together have been an incredible testimony of having a great attitude through a trial. And so I'm looking forward to that series, but I thought, Ken, you're a perfect illustration of being able to share your story and encourage our faith in that moment as well. But come on, let's pray, and then we'll get into it this morning. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for all that you did last night, Lord God, we thank you for every volunteer. We thank you for every person that has played their part, Lord God. And we thank you for this morning right now. You've called us to be a shining light in our community, in our friendship groups, in our families, Lord God, wherever we would find ourselves. And it's the hope of Jesus Christ that has changed everything for us. And Lord, this morning, as we hear about that hope and as we're reminded about the assurance that we have because of what you did for us, sending Jesus to the earth and how that has changed the story of our life, I pray that we would be encouraged and we'd built up to be your church as you're calling us to be in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shine. Keep going. Do you know the words?
here we go. Dun, 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 dun. That's enough. Just checking whether you still had it in you. We're gonna keep going. I'm at my end here. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about the thrill of hope. So I was just going to stop at that bit, but if you want to keep going, that's fine. <laughs> I just wanted to check whether you still had it in you. But the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And that truly is a representation of what Christmas is all about. The birth of Jesus is such a thrill of hope in our community. It's such a thrill of hope to humanity. When you think about the gospel and what it is all about, it's actually about hope. It's about the fact that we can have an assurance and know that we've got a hope that is secure in Jesus Christ. You know, there is a lot of people in our world today that are living hopeless. There is a lot of people that are struggling with different trials and tribulations in their life and are just at a point of feeling like there is no hope. There's nothing left. There's nothing else to hold on to. There's no reason for living. There's no reason to have meaning in life. There is so many people that are struggling with hopelessness. And hopelessness can come about by a whole bunch of different things. It can come about by living distracted. Just living your nine to five life, just going through the motions and just going through the, the different things that society says that you need to do, growing up, getting married, buying a house, doing the normal things that perhaps people would say are normal that you need to do through life. And it can just feel like our life is just a distraction of just going to one thing, to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing, and never asking yourself any bigger questions like, what is the purpose of life? There's a lot of hopelessness for distracted people. There's a lot of hopelessness for disappointed people. People that have perhaps believed for a miracle and it hasn't taken place like they expected. People that have cried out to God for something and it hasn't worked out the way they thought. Perhaps people that have been disappointed by others. Perhaps even people that have been disappointed by churches or people that are representing a church. So many people that perhaps don't come to church because of a bad experience with a Christian. And the truth is, as Christians, we are just imperfect people like everybody else. The only difference is we are forgiven. But we aren't perfect. We don't have it all together. There is a lot of people that have found themselves in life as disappointed. In fact, there's a lot of people, I believe, that have perhaps fallen in love with church, but haven't fallen in love with God. And that can create a whole bunch of disappointment because people will let you down. But God will never let you down. People that perhaps distrust, people perhaps that are full of pride, that, that all they can trust in is themselves. And when they fail, when they make a mistake, their whole world just falls apart because all they trusted in was themselves or perhaps a key person in their life. And they haven't opened themselves up to trust in Jesus Christ. Disappointment can be bred in all of those different areas of our life because hope is only truly found 
in Jesus. I've known people that are coming to the end of their life and on their deathbed are full of hope because of their relationship with Jesus, are full of hope knowing that they have an eternity in heaven to spend with their Savior King, and the excitement of knowing that perhaps the sadness of leaving the earth, but knowing that they have an assurance in heaven, it changes their demeanor in that moment. But I've also been with people that haven't had that hope, and to see them in that moment, in that period of hopelessness, not to know what is next and the anguish and the fear that can be associated with that. And why do we wait to the last few moments of our life at times to really focus on what our life is actually all about? And that's all found in Jesus. Jesus came to the earth to save us, not because of our perfection, not because we were worthy of it, but because of his incredible grace. And so I want to look this morning at the story of Jesus coming to earth and the hope of humanity that we get from that. So let's have a look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I want to read some scripture this morning. It says this, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I mean, it's not every day an angel of the Lord appears to you. You can imagine the kind of fear in that moment. It says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Can you imagine Mary in that moment? She's had this encounter with this angel. She's been told that she will be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And then she's left with the task of trying to explain that to her husband. Can you imagine that moment? There is a lot of people that blame God for things. If you've been a pastor long enough, you can see a lot of people blame God for situations perhaps that in their life, God told me to do this. God said this. God did this. But in this moment, this was an actual case of God had done something powerful in her life. And she is a virgin, but she is pregnant. Imagine the difficult conversation that was to take place with her husband to explain that scenario. Pretty interesting. So this is the the account of Mary receiving the word from God. But here's the account from Joseph. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary uh, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. 
Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So just to give you a scenario of what was happening in the culture of the day, Mary and Joseph were betrothed to be married. That is a legal binding thing. It was as if they were married, but what often happens is there can be up to a 12-month period in that time where they are betrothed, but they don't consummate the marriage, where Mary would have perhaps lived with her family still for that 12-month period before they actually came together and began to live together as a family. And so they were betrothed in this moment, and it, it maybe appears like they were engaged, but in the culture of the time, they were married. The commitment had been made. The payment had been made to the family to say, we are together. We are making this decision. But can you imagine for Joseph in that moment where he realizes he hasn't yet consummated the marriage, they aren't officially um, confirmed and living together as they were planning to, but he finds out Mary is pregnant. So he has the option under the law to actually have Mary stoned for her unfaithfulness according to what the law would allow. But he, as a man of grace, was choosing to say, you know what, I don't want to do that. I don't want to expose her publicly. I don't want to see her killed because of this. But what I'm choosing to do is I'm going to go and quietly arrange a divorce, which could be arranged with two witnesses, which we could go and do that and have basically the marriage annulled and over. And so these are the thoughts that are going through Joseph's mind. And you can imagine that is a very valid thought in that moment. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means savior, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. What a powerful story. In fact, the Christian expression and the Christian story depends on the virgin birth. If that did not take place, then everything we talk about out of the Bible is not true. This is the starting point of Jesus coming to earth and beginning to save humanity from their sins. And it starts with a miraculous story full of hope for humanity. But without this story taking place, everything we talk about would just be mere fables and stories. When we look at some of the evidence of the virgin birth, we see firstly that Mary said she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Who would make that stuff up? Who would become pregnant and in this moment of being betrothed, just come out with this story of saying, hey, I'm pregnant, but it was God. 
Who did it? As far as I understand, this story hasn't tried to be said before this moment. (laughs) Nobody else, no woman before this moment has said, you know what, I'm pregnant, but it was the Holy Spirit who did it. And so it seems like a crazy thought that Mary would even say this. Why would you say this if it wasn't true? Why would you make this up? Why would you create such an elaborate story which would be so hard to comprehend? We look at it from the other side of the story. But can you imagine in that moment, in the culture of the day, saying that knowing that Mary could be stoned and killed for saying it, she comes out with this story. It seems crazy. What an evidence of that happening. In fact, we used to have a neighbor when we lived in Cranebrook that she didn't even know she was pregnant, went to the bathroom one day and got a huge surprise because a baby was born. She literally had no idea she was pregnant. Amy, you can attest to this being true. And she literally had that. Now, that's a surprise. But she didn't say it was the Holy Spirit that did it. That's even a bigger surprise that could happen in that moment. The second thing is Joseph had a dream that changed his mind. So he had the plan to divorce Mary in that moment. Under his legal right, he was able to do that. Yes, he was a gracious man, but he still had a plan to do that. Why would his plans change unless there was an angel visitation that changed his mind? Because who would want to start off their marriage knowing that somebody had just cheated on them in the betrothal period? No one would want to do that. He didn't have to do that. There was no reason for him to continue on with that relationship. He could have received his money back that his family would have paid for him to be able to have have Mary as his wife. He could have received that back and moved on with the rest of his life, started again with somebody else. So why would he change his mind if he was already considering doing that? And thirdly, Scripture had prophesied this moment hundreds of years earlier. And that backs up the story and confirms what was taking place. This miraculous moment has a whole bunch of evidence that goes with it. And I love in Matthew 1 verse 21 of this passage, it clearly articulates what Jesus' mission statement was. It says this, He will save His people from their sins. That was the mission statement of heaven as Jesus came And so this morning, I just want to talk quickly about three ways Jesus has brought us hope. And the first one is this, in this statement, it's the hope of salvation. He says, He will save. Salvation is security for you and I. Salvation is something that we cannot earn, we can't strive to get. All we can do is receive it. From Jesus, the salvation of our souls, know that we are forgiven in that moment, know that we are set free, know that we receive an eternal inheritance in heaven, know that all of those things are are, are our portion as soon as we make a decision to follow Jesus. As soon as we make that decision, we receive salvation. We receive that seal of protection in our lives. The work has been done. That is hope for humanity because there is a lot of people chasing religions, chasing different directions in their life, trying to earn approval, trying to earn salvation, trying to earn by good works their way to heaven. But the beauty of the gospel, that's why it's called the good news, is the work has been done. It's hope because he saved. 
Do you know saving depends on the power of the person that is saving you? That's why we have alliances with powerful countries and people. Because if we're ever in trouble, we don't want the weak nation coming in to help us. We want the strong nation, USA, USA. We want them coming to help us in our time of trouble because it matters who is saving you. It matters the power that they bring. It matters the authority that they bring. And when Jesus says that he saves us, he has the authority to be able to do that. He created us and he saves us. He will save It's him. The emphasis is on him. I love Paul. He said this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that, in my, so that even though I am the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Isn't that incredible? Paul calls himself the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners, the worst of the worst, but is just reminded that it's actually not his good works that have got him into heaven. But it's actually because Jesus has saved us and forgiven us. It changes the story. It's an incredible story of grace and hope. See, salvation is like going to work every day. And when you arrive at work, your boss says to you, the work is already done. And then you go home and you come the next day and you say, I'm ready to work. You're in your work clothes. And the boss says again, the work is already done. All you had to do is receive the job, receive that opportunity, and you rock up to work every day and understand that actually the work's been done. It's the same for our Christian experience. We just need to remind ourselves every day the work is done. We are forgiven for every sin that we've done, that we will do today, and that we will do in the future. Knowing that we are forgiven and set free is hope. It reminds us that the name Jesus means Savior. Jesus doesn't just do saving. It is who he is. He is the Savior. And so that is cause for hope in our life. I love in Psalm 51 verse 12, David said this, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. How easy it is as the years go on as a Christian to forget the incredible joy of our salvation, to forget the power of it. You know, that we shouldn't allow salvation to ever diminish or fade. It's powerful. It's sealed and saved your life. It set you free. And yet we can so easily, just like anything else, find ourselves just taking it for granted. Just like a new car that we looked after so nicely when we got it. We washed it. We cleaned it. We did, all, we did everything we could to make that car. We polished it. We made it look so beautiful. And we did that for the first few weeks and the first few months. And then we didn't wash it as much. And then it got dirty on the inside. And then a kid stains the seat. And it just goes on and on. And before we know it, we're not looking after our car the same way that we used to when we first had it. And salvation can be like that. 
where we just take it for granted as life goes on. But we should always be thankful for our salvation because it's changed everything. If we have nothing else in life, we have our salvation, which is eternal. It doesn't fade. It's powerful. It changes everything. Don't let what is precious become plain. It changes the story. The second thing this morning is this, the hope of inclusion. He says he will save salvation, his people. He calls us his people. Not only have we received salvation, but we have been brought in. This isn't just a distant God in heaven who's looking down and just wanting to save us from a distance. He wants us to come in. As the family of God, He wants us to be included, to be known, to have relationship, to do life together, and to be called sons and daughters of God. How powerful is that? That we are just this distant relationship, this distant religion where we have an understanding of a theology of who God is, but he never comes near. The word used is Emmanuel, God with us. That God didn't just look at us from a distance to save us, but he came near. He came as a child to earth. When people would have probably been expecting some great warrior to come. He came in the sense of family. He came into family. He came to experience life and to grow up in family, to be connected, to be around people, to do life together with people, to understand that Jesus is all about family. He's all about inclusion. He's all about us being connected with him. I love how it says in John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and and made his dwelling among us. I love in the message translation, it says it this way, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, with a one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Inclusion brings confidence. You know, when you're born, you are born into family naturally. And it's the same when you are born again. You are born into the family of God. You are born into relationship. Whether you like it or not, look around this room. You're related to these people. Some of them are crazy. But you're related to them. You're going to be spending eternity with them. Too bad if you don't like them. Because you're going to be spending a lot of time with them. And it's true that we are the family of God. We are called to be included together. And being born in family gives confidence. To be able to see a child that grows up in a healthy family environment, they don't, they, they're not nervous about going to the fridge and getting something out. They're not nervous about playing with, with toys in their room. It's their house. It's their environment. They feel a confidence of being included. And we should live with that same level of confidence. As believers in Jesus, we are adopted sons and daughters of God. That is the hope that we have, that we don't need to live shy or insecure. We can live confident lives. Knowing that we are included in Christ. Knowing that we are, the Bible talks about we are hidden in Christ. That's the confidence that we live with. I remember one day being in this, invited back to this green room. 
after, after a church event. It was a combined church event, and I got invited back. And uh, there were some people that I was with at that event that were talking to some of the leaders and the different people that were involved in creating that event and some of these incredible pastors that I respected. And uh, I just felt so nervous about being in that room. I was the guy in that moment that was just hanging around the food table. I had nothing else to do, and so I was just slowly eating the food, pouring another drink, doing everything that I could just to try and take my time so I didn't have to be around these people that were intimidating to me. And what was amazing is how inclusive they were, and they kept inviting me to move away from the table and come and sit with them at at this other table and connect. And that's the story of heaven, isn't it? That we aren't excluded to be out just at the food table. That God's bringing us into the center table of family. That we can gather around together, around Jesus Christ, and we can be included in the incredible story of the gospel. And we can be changed and transformed from that. Confidence changes everything. You can see it in sporting stars. When they operate with confidence, when they are selected for a team and they feel included in that team, they operate at a new level of confidence. But when they're excluded, when they're dropped from that team, you see them, they go through a period of of time where they feel no confidence. And you can see it reflected in their performance. And it's the same for us as believers when we don't feel like we're included, when we're still trying to strive to be included, when we're still trying to be good enough to be loved by God, when we're still trying to get the approval of others instead of understanding we have all the approval we need from our Heavenly Father. It just changes the way that we can live free. We can live confident. We can live as we're called to live. In my family... We have this uh, birthmark at the back of our neck. It's this like basically this little red mark at the back of our neck. We're rednecks. We've got this red mark at the back of our neck. And there, it just seems to be all in, mo- all in our family. And so we've all just got this little red mark. It's just covered by our, our hair at the back. But we just all have it. We all have this thing that's a common thing. And it says in Scripture about us, when it talks about uh, the seal that we have, it says in Him, Ephesians 1.3, And you also, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and as a result believed in Him, were stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, you have a birthmark from heaven. That God has sealed you as His own. That there's nothing that you can do if you've made that decision, if you choose to be in that relationship, you are sealed and marked by God. And that has changed the story of your life. You have a heavenly birthmark as a believer in Jesus Christ. And many of us can live our lives with lack of confidence and not sure of our identity and where we fit in. But can I just remind you this morning that your identity is found in Jesus. He has sealed you. He has marked you. And therefore, you can live with incredible confidence because of that. Thirdly and finally this morning, the hope of New life. It says he will save his people from their sins. That we would live our lives not as perfect, but we would live our lives understanding that we are forgiven, that we are included in Christ. We are no better than anybody else. 
Just because we are a Christian, that doesn't make us any better than anybody in this world that would perhaps be the worst of sinners that hasn't accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We don't have anything better than them except for the fact that we have been forgiven by God's incredible grace and we have received that gift. God is a gentleman. He's not going to force anything on you. You have to make the choice to receive. In fact, love is not love if you can't choose it. And so because we've been given the free will of choice to be able to accept Jesus or not, and when we make that decision to receive him and have relationship with him, it changes the story of our life and it means that we are radically forgiven. It's actually like just having our status changed. Just like somebody on Facebook would go from single to married and you can see their status update on there. It doesn't make them any better as a person, but their status has been changed. And it's the same with us. We have moved from being a sinner to being forgiven, and God has just changed the status. He's changed the status of our life so that we can have new life. And I don't know about you, but I love new things. I love new clothes or or a new car, or, or a new lounge, a new furniture. I just love the new things. Just like when you get a new car, there's that new smell. There's that excitement about uh, of having whatever it may be, or new clothes, and you just love wearing them for the first time. But it doesn't take long before it fades, before it just time goes on, and it's not new any longer. But one of the things that we need to always remember is that our salvation in Jesus, the new life that we have been given, it never fades. So it's always new. Every morning that you get up, the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. That we can be reminded that we still live in that new life. Jesus came to save us, not to condemn us. And so sometimes we get caught up with the stuff that we've done wrong, the sins that we've made, and the things that we've done wrong. We feel condemned and we start to diminish the new because we think about all the old that we've done. We think about all the sin that we've accumulated. But can I just remind you that your status has changed. You may not feel like that because you've made mistakes, but the minute you made a decision to follow Jesus, you started a new life. And it's always new. It doesn't diminish or change. I love it says this in Titus 3 verse 3. It says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. The Bible says you are a new creation in Christ. New life. It's changed the story. I'll finish with this story. A few years ago, my sister was in an abusive relationship. Her boyfriend at the time was, was hitting her, and this was probably a year or two after my dad had passed away. I was about 20 years old. And uh, this guy was so abusive and, and such a torment to her. They lived together. And I remember one day my sister calling me. I was at work. She called me and said, Ben, can you come pick me up? You need to come pick me up. His boyfriend's hit me again and, and I, I'm terrified. 
I'm stuck in the house. I'm holed up. She was holed up in her room. And uh, this guy was a big guy. Amy, you can attest, he was a big guy. And so I get in the car and uh, I'm, I'm driving up and, and halfway through, I'm like, I'm ready to die today. You know, like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to protect my sister. I'm going up there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're in that mode. You're like, I'm going to protect my sister. I'm willing to die. Like, I'm like Terminator. And in the second half of the trip, I'm like, God, I pray I don't die. God, please protect me today. And so I get up there and um, I, just, I just get into the house. I just grab a bag. I start grabbing my sister's things. I'm putting it in the bag. And I, I didn't see where he was, but I know he's somewhere in the house. I'm thinking, I'm possibly going to die because he's really angry. And so I grabbed his stuff and I, I'm trying to make my way out the door. And then I just I saw sight of him and he goes, Ben, come into the garage with me. And I'm like, I'm about to die. I love you. Goodbye. <laughs> and so I, I'm like, all right, well, Sarah, grab your stuff and get out to the car. And so I go into the garage. I'm thinking, oh, no, this is the end of my life. And uh, we walk into the garage. He shuts the door. He's got this big, strong look on his face. He's really angry. He shuts the door. And then he just starts weeping. He just starts crying. Tears coming down his eyes. He's going, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He starts talking about how his dad abused him and had beaten him and all these things that had happened in his life. And I'm like, I don't even care right now. I'm not your pastor. <laughs> like, I'm, a, I'm a brother right now. And so I'm listening to all these things that he's saying and, and, and talking to him. And anyway, I, I managed to invite him to church in the next couple of weeks. And anyway, he comes along to church, long story, and makes a decision to follow Jesus in the service, puts up his hand. The pastor at our church asked me to go up and, and lead him through the sinner's prayer. I'm still not over it. And so I'm... Dear Lord Jesus, accept you as my Lord and Savior. Like, repeat after me. Like, he's saved. Can I kill him now? <laughs> and so I'm still mad, but I led him through the sinner's prayer and, uh, and all that kind of things. And we talked. And anyway, there's reconciliation over the years. And they ended up breaking up and, and move on. And just a, just a, about two years ago, and this is years and years afterwards, I get this message from, from this guy through Facebook. And it's this huge message just apologizing for everything that he'd done and just talking about his story of how he'd got saved and how his life's been radically changed and he's married and, and talking about all of these things and just apologizing for all that's done wrong, just thankful for the grace of God in his life. And all you can do in those moments is just think, you know what? Someone's gone from a sinner to forgiven and that changes everything. The hope of new life. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. But being forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ, the hope of Jesus, it absolutely changes everything. Let's not take that hope for granted. The Bible talks about it as an anchor for our lives. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That is who we are. As the team want to come up, I'd love to pray. You know, the Bible says you've been born again. When you look at the Greek for that, it, it uses the explanation of being born from above. You can't physically go back into the womb as an adult and be born again. But you are born again from above. You are born into the family of God when you make a decision. You are creating new life. You are starting again. And that has changed the story of your life. Romans 15, 13. Now the God of hope... Fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we just thank you this morning for the hope of Jesus. He came to earth and he has changed the story of our lives. We thank you, Lord God, that we don't need to live in despair and fear. We don't need to live feeling we are excluded, feeling we're on the outer, struggling with our identity. But Jesus, because of what you did at Christmas, you have changed the story of our life and we live with hope. And I pray that hope would ooze out of our lives wherever we find ourselves, that we would just be pointing uh, to Jesus. Our lives would point to Him as the reason for this incredible joy and peace, which comes from the hope of the Christmas story and the hope of Jesus Christ. God, we honour you today. And I pray wherever there is despair, wherever there is fear, wherever there is a struggle with identity, we would be reminded again that we find our security and hope in Jesus Christ as sons and daughters of the King. This Christmas time, let the hope of the gospel come out of our lives in renewed ways and with new passion. We ask it this morning in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. 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 You know, I want to pray the sinner's prayer this morning because I never assume where we are, where we're at this morning, where there's a crowd of people that gather and uh, only God knows what's going in, in, in your heart this morning. But I know this, that when we make a decision to lean into God, we receive the hope of Jesus Christ in our lives and it changes the story. And so this morning, I want to pray the sinner's prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat this after me. Would you stand with me this morning and let's pray this prayer together. If you mean it in your heart, Speak it out loud. The Bible says you shall be saved. So let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, today I give you my life. For my sins, I'm sorry. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your love for me. Thank you, I'm a child of God. Help me to live each day for you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Come on, let's worship together as we conclude the service this morning.